0: there were probably no less than eight to nine strong men who ran their households and collectively ran the block. Um, you know how, like, when, when you're young and, 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 you know, guys first start getting cars, right, 16, 17 years old, buckets. Sometimes it might be an older model sort of foreign car. Um, you, you riding around with your friends and, you know, you joy riding or whatever you may be doing, right, park on a certain block. Maybe your mom doesn't know you have that car. Um, Maybe it's stolen, right? It could be a lot of different scenarios. But I bring up that example because, you know, guys would park on our block, right? And there was always this unwritten, you know, unspoken rule that if you into something real heavy, like, all right, you can park right here, but, like, you got to keep it pushing. And there were always men on the porch that would be observing the block and kind of being on guard, Right. And I, I bring that up in response to your question because, you know, I learned a lot about what it is to be a man by watching my dad and also those eight or nine men who ran their house, houses respectively.
1: Welcome to the Dreams, by any means, Motivation Station. I'm your host, Ed Doxon. Uh, today I got a very special guest here in the building. Um, like I always say, I say that every single time. Uh, but today I really do got a very special guest. Um, this is somebody that um, I would consider one of the smartest people in my life. This is somebody that I try to model my life after in many different ways, and um, it's a rare situation where this is somebody that I feel like um, embodies all of the morals, qualities, and family values that I was raised on, Um, you know, just meeting someone outside of my family that embodies that, so um, many people know Silas, Um, many people may know him in many different ways, you may know him from walking, you may know him from influence policy, you may know him from seeing him in the Go-Go's, you may know him from being active in the church, Um, just an all-around good guy, but um, definitely represents what it means. Uh, hustle plus faith equals success. Um, you know, really be an example of what it means to get to your dreams by any means. So finally, welcome to the show, bro.
0: Man, thank you for having me. I appreciate the invite.
1: Yeah, no, nah, absolutely, man. So, you know, this episode is, uh, it's interesting because when I interview people, you know, I'm normally asking questions for myself and as well as, the, uh, you know, the uh, audience is listening. But you know, those watching, listening, like, we talk every day. Like, this is not like, oh, we talk, no, we really talk every single day. You know, so it's a lot of stuff that I do already know, but I know there's a lot of stuff that um, I want the audience to know. But um, let's just start off first, man, talk about where you grew up at.
0: Yeah, so I grew up um, in D.C., northeast D.C. Um, some people call it Edgewood. Some folks call it Brookland. Um, right off of Franklin Street on 6th, uh, my parents bought over there in maybe 1970 and so um it's the only home that I've known as far as a family home right Um, for our family and uh, my mom is still there to this day I was actually over her house yesterday Um, and every time I go on that block uh, there are a lot of memories that come to mind uh, a lot of positive memories and so um, that street that community really uh, grounded me and uh, my roots are there And it was there where I learned a lot of valuable lessons that have helped me uh, become who I am.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, talk about the makeup of your household growing up. Um, What was that like?
0: Yeah, mom and dad in the house. Uh, My dad recently passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, But, yeah, they were married for close to – they were like two weeks away from their 60th anniversary when he passed. Um, And so, um, you know, I've always known, like, the – nuclear family sort of set up. I've got two older sisters. They're nine and 10 years older than me, respectively. Uh, And so it was the five of us. Uh, My mom did not work early on in my life. My dad had two jobs. He uh, owned a trash business, and he also worked for what we now know as D.C. Water. Um, At the time, it was called Wasua. Uh, And so it's basically a public works agency. So he worked two jobs. My mom uh, was a stay-at-home wife and, and mother. And then uh, she eventually went back to the workforce when I was around 12. So a lot of stability, uh, a lot of availability from my parents. And, um, you know, you, you've you known me for quite some time. I think my demeanor is a reflection of um, that security and accessibility to my family. So um, I'm really level-headed and, and, you know, normally like just – even killed because of that. And I'm thankful for that. I've got a four-year-old daughter now and and a wife, and um, I try to be as available as I can for them because of the example that my mom and dad set. Um, A lot of times people who um, grew up, when I grew up in the 80s, they predominantly spent most time with their moms, right? Sometimes exclusively with their moms. But my dad and I had a lot of time together because he worked uh, on a shift schedule, three different shifts. And so oftentimes he was taking me to school, picking me up from school. He was available during the day. Um, so I benefited a lot from my family structure.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of what I was going to ask is, you know, growing up in um, Edgewood neighborhood, D.C. in general, but just growing up in black communities, you know, not too many people have the luxury of coming from that two-parent household. Mm-hmm. So what age did you kind of notice that, um, I, got, I wouldn't even say lucky, but just like you you were you were in a different situation from your peers of having those parents in the household
0: early on. Cause there was only maybe one other family in my neighborhood. It, well, let me, let me preface that the guys that I hung out with, right. There was only maybe one other family where, um, there was a mom and a dad. I had a couple of guys who their dads were exclusively raising them, but mostly moms exclusively raising the, the guys that I hung out with. I recognized early. My mom and dad were never, they would never label themselves as like community activists or servants, but they often gave back Um, and they never said it explicitly, but it was always sort of understood that we had advantages, right? Um, You know, coming from the type of household that you and I come from, um, we called it being blessed, right? Um, But they just saw that they had advantages and they always tried to help. I was thinking about this last night. There was a guy that I grew up with, we were like nine or 10 years old. He could not read. And my mom found that out. And then she would periodically call him on the porch and try to teach him how to read. Um, And, you know, unfortunately he made some real bad decisions later on, but every time he saw my mom, like he would go out of his way to like really thank her for the effort that she put forth to, to help him. Uh, My dad, virtually every family member that migrated to DC after him, at some point they lived with us or he did something to be able to help them financially. So um, understanding privilege, relatively speaking, was something that, you know, was really um, it wasn't spoken, but it, you knew. Right? Yeah. And, and it was your responsibility to help.
1: Yeah, no, nah, for sure. And you, um, you know, you talk about, like, um, coming from the household, um, being in the community, noticing it early. And kind of, like, question I had before starting the interview was asking, you know, what sparks your interest in service? But it seemed like you saw your parents kind of yeah. giving back, even if it wasn't through a job or a role but just normal everyday stuff in the community
0: yeah yeah i mean it was just my mom and dad um again never sought out titles stayed away from that sort of stuff but they were always and my mom to this day is still someone that a lot of people either rely on directly or they know she's a phone call away and she's really going to come through and deliver if they need it yeah for sure
1: And, and um you know we talk about um you know i'm just thinking when we talk about like growing up so i'm assuming that you definitely looked up to your mom and your dad, but also, you know, as a kid, you, sometimes you're outside the house more than you're inside in the house, mm-hmm. um, and then sometimes as you get older, you know, your parents going to always kind of see you as their kids, so they might not understand stuff, you know, that you're trying to bring to, the, to bring to them to get advice for. So, outside of the family, you know, who did you look up to the most growing up?
0: Yeah, so the other piece to my sort of upbringing was that there were a lot of um, men on my block in the surrounding areas. Um, growing up in what's considered to be Edgewood in the early 80s, late 80s, and early 90s, uh, there was a lot of things happening around our block, but nothing never happened on our block. There were probably no less than eight to nine strong men who ran their households and collectively ran the block. Um, you know how, like, when, when you're young and, and and, you know, guys first start getting cars, right? Sixteen, seventeen years old. Buckets. Sometimes it might be an older model, sort of foreign car. Um, you you riding around with your friends, and you know you joy riding or whatever you may be doing. Right. You park on a certain block. Maybe your mom doesn't know you have that car. Um, maybe it's stolen. Right. Yeah. It could be a lot of different scenarios. But I bring up that example because, you know, guys will park on our block, right, and it was always this unwritten, you know, unspoken rule that if you enter something real heavy, like, all right, you can park right here, but, like, you got to keep it pushing. And there were always men on the porch that would be observing the block and kind of being on guard, right? And I I bring that up in response to your question because, you know, I learned a lot about what it is to be a man by watching my dad and also those eight or nine men who ran their houses respectively. And then there were a few younger men, like younger than my dad but older than me, um, that I looked out, that I looked up to as well, and they looked out for me. Um, and so I told you earlier I have two older sisters. They were really popular. Um, the older guys in their age range saw me grow up. They didn't want me to take the wrong uh, path or make the wrong decisions. And so the guys who may have been doing things that were dead wrong always made sure that I stayed on the right path. And so yeah. I'm appreciative for that.
1: Yeah, and, and it's funny, uh, say it's funny you say that, but <laughs> it's funny you say that because, like you said, similar, that was kind of my experience, um, you know, growing up, and not even just with the older guys, but even my peers, like even if I tried to get into something, they'd be like, nah, man, like Salita ain't going, you know, Delano ain't going, or, or yeah. you know, Miss Hunter, Mr. Hunter ain't going <laughs> to get on me. Like that was always a reaction. And um, <laughs> I just look back at it because I'm like, dang, like, you know, we was only 15, 16, and normally, you know, your, your friends are peer pressure. Or like – They'd be cool with somebody else going to crash with them. They'd be like, "Nah, I right, ain't about okay. to let Ed come crash with
0: my us." My mom, my mom, um, she she had a period where she would like walk a lot, and I mean, I had friends who were grown men that if she came down the block, they go Miss Grant, they pour out their drinks, have yeah. their cigarettes. <laughs> um, so half of them, she might not have been able to point out in the lineup, but they just knew who she was. Who she was. So I appreciated that, and I've grown to I've grown to appreciate it exponentially now in comparison to me appreciating it when I was younger. um, Because I think if you truly remain who you are and you truly stay within what you believe, no matter what that path is, people are going to have the utmost respect. And so, you know, a part of it was the guys saying to me, no, you shouldn't do that. But a part of it was on me because I know other guys who, despite getting those uh, warnings, right, they ended up still taking the wrong path and they never were as respected as I was for keeping to who I truly am. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you get pushed in the right direction, you still got to move your weight too.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I I know when I'm just thinking about that situation, it makes me think about um, the importance of family. Because the guys that I'm saying, and I'm sure you can relate to it, that were probably saying, no, nah, I'm not going to let him do this. They may have came from a broken home, or they may have came from a place where they didn't have any stability. But as I look back on it now as being an adult, I'm thinking that, they probably wanted what we had yeah you know, they yeah. probably was like nah like you don't even understand how lucky you are like you know yeah. so i'm not going to let you go down this route
0: that's an interesting thing that you just mentioned right because you know not to go off on a on a tangent but um you you look at what's going on with Ja Morant right now with the Grizzlies right and their whole team and there is this back and forth of oh he's from a nice home and but then on his end he's like i'm a man and nobody's going to play with me Mm-hmm. And, um, there's this challenge I think that we have in our society for men. Um, I, I, I hate kind of drilling down just the black men. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a male issue across culture and race, but specifically to black men in this instance, right? This whole thing about manhood and having to have gone through the trenches or gone through tough times to be defined as a man, right? Um, you know, you can be who you are and be respected. And at the same time, those people who mean well by trying to push you in the right direction, they have to also understand that by you sometimes pulling someone up and pointing out the privileges that they have, it can be offensive to them too, right? I can imagine, you know, a, Sha- a Shaquille O'Neal or a Charles Barkley or Stephen A. Smith saying to John Morant. You know, you come from a good home. You shouldn't be doing that. Nobody really wants to be told that. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, because what you're kind of saying is that I had a worse set of circumstances than you did. I still made it. You couldn't have gone through what I went through. Right. No man wants to hear that. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was, I think I had the clarity to be able to receive the message and really translate what they were trying to say to me without being offended by it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And I think as everybody's challenge is different. Like, you know, yeah. what, what what we may, some people may look at it and say, oh, we went through the trenches, but man, you don't know what the rich yeah. people might have been going
0: through. Let me let me say something to that point, right? And, and it's not even about wealth. My mom and dad, again, you know, before he passed 60 years of marriage, I, I would tell my friends, you don't know what it is to have to go through two adults to get approval. Uh, I'll give you a quick story. So my mom and dad raised us in a Christian household. Um, my mom really tightened up her faith a little earlier than my dad did, right? My dad came along a few years later, like, okay, I'm really going to get back to what I was raised on, right? It was like 1984. My mom stopped listening to secular music the whole nine yards, right? 84, Michael Jackson was popping, right? (laughs) He was like the biggest thing ever. My dad bought me a Michael Jackson jacket. And I remember being upstairs in our house and my mom and dad had, like, a full-fledged argument because my mom was like, no, he's not wearing that. I don't want him to even, like, be exposed to, like, that sort of, like, environment. Yeah. Like, I'm really on my ding, no, no pun intended, yeah. right? It's a whole different religion, <laughs> but, you know. Um, and my dad didn't understand, right? Whereas in a single house, whether it's a mom or dad, the decision to buy or wear an article of clothing was on one person, mm-hmm. right? Can I go outside? That's one person. Can I use the car? That's one person. So I had a different struggle because, you know, sometimes it was go ask your mother. Ask your sometimes father. it was go ask your father. And it's like what I learned, though, at five years old in 84 is that I could play my mother against my father. Mm-hmm. I never did that, but I, at five I was very clear that if I wanted to get something, I could play them against each other, and there are kids who do that. Yeah. Um, so that's the struggle of being in a two-parent household is that, you know, it's not always um, a unanimous decision. And because it's two people, you know, that decision might get strung along for a long time. Mm-hmm.
1: No, for sure. and Because I, I think that that's what I dealt with. Of course, my parents had split, but it still was like I knew certain stuff I could get away with over here. Yeah. certain stuff so I could get away with over there, or well, I might go tell half the story over here, and then they call the other parents. Yep. And then it's yep. like you don't yep. realize yeah. you're willing. But, no, that's for sure. Um, so just with that service, next thing, I got some notes here. Like I said, it was going to go as a convo, but... Um going through that, seeing your parents get back to the community, um, seeing people you know pouring to you, investing to you. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, outside of just daily service, being a person in your neighborhood that cared, the A and C run, was that your first official like community leadership role?
0: Yeah. So that was two thousand I made the decision to run in two thousand six. Okay. Um so I come back from from Hampton in oh two. Sort of conditions of you ran young. I didn't know you. Yeah, I was, like okay. 26 in, I was like twenty six, and I was like twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, I came back from Hampton '02. I was, you know, volunteering for different nonprofits. Mostly friends of mine who had organizations, or they were sitting in positions within other organizations, and um, was doing some tutoring, mentoring, that sort of thing. Just you know, trying to stay active. And um, I wanted to do more. And I remember around that time I was just starting to um, be in a relationship with who is now my wife. And um, we were in the car one night. And I said to her, man, I just want to do a little more. And she was like, just do it. And that was the first time that somebody had put the ball back in my court, right? It was no long discussion. She was like, just do it. And from there, I sought out the instructions on how to run for A&C. And um, it required you to live in a certain, within a certain uh, jurisdiction that you wanted to run for, twenty-five signatures from you know validated, certified voters, and then from there you just campaign. And so um, we went all out. I raised some money, bought signs from from uh, Kinkos, laminated them, put the uh, punch hole in, in the bottom, yeah. tied them up. Um, we had Franklin Street and Fourth Street looking like. <laughs> I was running for president. <laughs> people were calling me like, man, it's signs everywhere. Yeah. Um, but we had a good time doing the work. Um, when I say we, you know, there are a lot of people that helped me in that six-year period, those three terms that I served. Um, but, yeah, that was my first official position uh, doing work related to government in D.C.
1: Okay. That's what's up. And, and when you did that, how was that race? Was it competition? Was it like?
0: Yeah, it was like uh, the first time I ran um, – There was a woman who ran, but she ended up pulling out of the race. We sat down. She reached out to me, and she was like, you know what? I like you. I think you'll be all right with it. So the first time, I believe I was unopposed. The second time, there was like three people that ran. Only two of them were really actively campaigning. So I still ended up winning with like maybe 50 or 60% of the vote. And that that time was also when Obama ran. So like the whole neighborhood came out to vote. I've got... Um, at home the um the the actual ballot with my name and barack obama 's name right one of the most treasured things that I had mm-hmm. right you know just to be able to see that um you know for my child and for future generations that I was active at the same time, same time yeah uh, and then the third time I ran, I was unopposed again and then decided to walk away um after those three terms.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And in the midst of that, man, I think it's something we always talk about, um, trying to get more of us involved in the political arena, right? But we know from me and you both have knocked on doors, you've campaigned, we've talked to friends, different things, and some people just have no hope in the politics, or they say, that ain't my thing, or I don't do that, and I'm good, I'm cool. But then those are the first people that you'll see on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you know, complaining about the conditions. So, for you, I'm sure you, before you went into it, to say, all right, I'm going to take the run, I'm sure you also thought about, like, man, politics is politics. I'm sure you had people in your ear telling you, man, it is what it is. I'm sure you had people run away say, I'm only voting because you're running. So what kind of aligned you to say, all right, look, I understand politics can be a lot. It's dirt. It's bad to come with everything. But what made you say that? I'm going to jump over here in this water for my people, despite whatever came with it, and despite what the belief was in the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, I think the the the, the apathy and also, I think, the reservation to the political piece didn't start surfacing until after I got elected. Um, when I when I went after it, everybody was supporting because they just wanted a face that they knew and that they could trust, and they they also believed in me. Like that's for you, right? Um, after I got into it, my work. Began to expand beyond just the Edgewood neighborhood. Even though I was serving in Edgewood, I was also my decisions, my votes, um, my influence was impacting other communities like Eckington, um, Stronghold, other areas where my ANC also, you know, had uh, uh, um, purview over. Right. That was when you started meeting people that you didn't know, people that didn't already have a pre-existing relationship with you. And people make assumptions about you because you're in politics and it's not even personal. Yeah. Um, our, my first meeting, my first community meeting was about a development and a guy walked in the room and he said, that guy's taking money. He didn't know me. Yeah. We had never met before. And it was like, why would you say something yeah, like, like that? Right? I mean, yeah, was you. just <laughs> like, why would you say something like that? Um, and you know, it's funny because you talk about politics and we think about official politics, but come to find out the guy knew somebody that I knew, right? Somebody that I would have never known that we had in common. And I happened to see him outside of like the community meeting in the community. And um, I happened to be talking to the guy we know in common, which I would have never in a million years, million years figured that we knew the same person. Mm -hmm. And, I told the guy briefly what happened in the meeting where the guy made these wild accusations, and he pulled the guy up. We had a three-way conversation, like, in the middle of our community about something, and that's really politics, right? Yeah. It's not putting a suit on and folding your arms up and taking these prop photos and, you know, trying to speak the king's English. It's really about relationships. Yeah. And the guy that we know in common was like, listen, I've known this guy my whole life. He, he would never do something like that, mm-hmm. right? And I, I know you as well, and I know what you. you know, I know that you mean well, but trust me, you need to know this guy. This, this, you guys shouldn't be, you know, you know, opposing one another, right? And so we ended up having an opportunity to have a great relationship since that point, and yeah. that's what it's really about, like the relationships and and being able to translate what people are saying and what they're thinking.
1: Right, right, no, that's that's true, bro. And um, you said that you know you was talking um, uh, well, before your wife, she was your girlfriend. You were talking to uh, Valerie about the run, and she motivated you to do the run. And I know often you speak um, about, you know, the importance of marriage, importance of, um, you know, your wife and the role she plays. But it's something you said, and since you said this in the chat, like I never forget it, um, and you said something as simple as that, you know, like uh, you said pretty much successful marriages is the key to us building communities. So I say that quote that you said just to say uh, talk about marriage, like what marriage means to you, talk about your wife, um, how that experience has been? You've been married for
0: it's it'll be thirteen years, 13 years. this okay. year. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, how has that experience been for you?
0: Yeah, no, nah, it's it's been good. Um, and I do stand by that um, that quote, that mantra, that belief that we do have to have more strong official partnerships where people are committed to each other in the institution of marriage to be able to not only build but sustain communities um as again I, I hate pointing out the 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 plight of black people only because when we do that sometimes we act as if we, we act as if we're cursed like right, every right. problem is just ours right i mean other people have problems as well um that don't look like us but i think in our community in particular individualism and um, being the first, being the only, it, it's really, really hurting us, right? This this idea of exceptionalism is really hurting us, right? Um, you know, Chris Rock tells this joke about he, he, Gary Sheffield, Mary J. Blige, and I think, like, Dr. Drake live in a neighborhood, right, same neighborhood. It may not be Dr. Drake, but somebody else, Gary Sheffield, Mary J. Blige, him, and, like, some other person, all, like, record-breaking outstanding people in their respective industries. Right. Yeah. And their neighbors are like, no disrespect, but like regular white people mm-hmm. that you don't know. And he just makes this joke about exceptionalism, how like we just have to always, or we feel like we have to always be exceptional. Right. at, at what we do and this whole individualism, exceptional exceptionalism sort of concept merged together, I think is really undermined and compromised people's desire to want to build with a partner. Um, And, you know, yeah, I could be making $200,000 a year. The mother of my child could be making that same amount. We live across town from each other. Um, But our relationship and our ability to sustain it was not strong enough for us to stay together. And I know that it happens, right? I'm not saying that they're not circumstances that come along that we just have to, you know, have a plan B or we think about things differently. But to the extent that we can, I think, the more partnerships that we have, the more we can elevate because what we see now, we see more well to do couples stay together yeah. like you don't really see like for lack of a better phrase, poor couples, yeah, right, like if you' kind of down and out and that person's kind of down and out, you guys maybe girlfriend boyfriend for a little while, and you split, but I think there's an opportunity to grow from that right. ground level, um and I think sometimes we don't really necessarily see the value in that and all of that i just said brings me back to what you were talking about with, with mm-hmm. valerie how when i was really trying to figure it out she was there and she helped keep me on the track to where i've gotten to this point and sometimes as men we say well i'm gonna wait till i get successful and then find a woman and it's like well yeah that might be the reason why she's valuable she can help you get to that point mm-hmm
1: yeah, and, and I'm glad you said that because I think with my age range, that's a lot of uh, the thought process now was like, oh, I can't do this until I get this amount of money or I can't do this until I get that. Like, I I got one of my friends, like, he's always on it. He's like, man, I ain't got time to date nobody. Like, I got to get these millions first, you yeah. know?
0: I mean, but here's the thing, right? Like, so I'm 43. Um, and I'm not the most accomplished person, but I've, I've done some things, right? And I think it would be tough for me to build with someone starting at 43 because I've had like two or three different lives before this, yeah. right? Like, like you meet me today and I don't tell you I was an ANC for six years. Like you would never know that. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, I've done some some significant things, even with my daughter, I had her late, right? We had her was 40 when she was born and it was like, all right, now there's going to be a point when she begins to understand that I've got to share with her a long time before she got here, things that I did. Like I've reinvented myself a couple of times since, you know, my adulthood. And I just think that, um, you know, leveraging somebody as a partner from the ground up is not as bad as people try to make it out to be. And again, everybody's scenario is not going to afford them that, but, I think there's some people who are foregoing opportunities to do it because they think that they have to wait, and I think that's counterproductive sometimes.
1: Yeah. And it's, um, I know from my experience, seeing it plays a role, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. like, I mean, people, so my situation is different. Like, my parents split when I was young, but, like, they remained cool. It was never no right. beef. You know, I'm sure they had their times they were at odds, but it was never nothing toxic. But when I live with my grandparents, like I was able to see the marriage. So, so, so my even now today, my view on marriage is just always going to be traditional, because that's what I saw. True. I saw, you know, granddad working, grandma cooking, Sunday dinner, you know, uh, you know, uh, love your wife like Christ loved the church, you know, woman obeyed husband. <laughs> like I seen the traditional uh, marriage, and you know, they what fifty? I want to say 52, 50, I can't even keep up, but they fifty plus years in. Um, and I think for me, that's always just been my view on marriage. It's like, I think because their marriage, the center of their marriage has been, like, religion, and it's been God, and it's sure. been, this is what holds us together. But like you just said, because, mo- like, you know, they you know, do well for themselves, but they never, like, wealthy or super rich. But like you said, most people, uh, you know, you see them like couples who are successful will whatever last longer than those who are at the bottom. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying that to say is that, like, i think with our community just how we establish relationships in general like hurts that meaning like even if you like for example i've like the older i've gotten i've built my own personal relationship with a lot of my father's good friends and they explained to me kind of like growing up how like they like bro we didn't that's why i said this in the beginning of the podcast outside of you know my grandfather delano you a lot of different men but like they expressed to me that, like, we didn't have men telling us to be men. Like, if you had a girl, mm-hmm. it was a you were corny. If you wasn't messing with six, seven girls at one time or, you know, it was just like he was saying, like, growing up, we I didn't never know that. He was like, I thought, like, being a player was the thing to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think um that's a very, very good point. What you see is, you know, most likely what you'll try to duplicate. um. I also think, though, I know people that have come from the nuclear family structure that it's a repellent to them now. And on the flip side, I know people who didn't come from it, and they want it so bad that you know, there's a whole generation of fathers and husbands now that are my age that didn't have the example, but they just wanted it, right? They don't even know what they want for real. They just yeah. wanted to be married, wanted to have a kid because they didn't have a parent They didn't have both parents. They didn't have that situation for themselves. And, you know, I give a lot of props to a lot of fathers and mothers that I see now going after that structure because they wanted something different than what they had. But then again, unfortunately, there are people who had it that just, you know, they don't recognize the value in it. And again, I I cover this whole uh, section of the conversation by saying that I'm not saying that if you don't get married, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. I just think that there's some people out here that are really hung up on individualism and exceptionalism that if they partner with, I'm going to give you a prime example. Um So you, you, you know, Ed Fisher. Yeah. Right, Ed? Mm-hmm. So he just recently uh joined um, a firm doing some work in the city and beyond. They had a celebration for him maybe like two weeks ago. Right. He and his, he, he's gotten married and, um, his wife was there and the firm he works for is a family owned firm, a man and woman, husband and wife own it. And the woman gave some remarks, just congratulating him for coming on board and he's already got the business booming and that sort of stuff. And she said, you know, when you were single, I wasn't quite sure if I, if we wanted to approach you about asking you to join the team. She said, I felt like you were a little rough on the edges in some, in some ways She said, I've seen a remarkable improvement now that you got married. And then the point she kind of stated, you know, as an overarching theme was that it wasn't specifically about marriage, but she said for all of us in the room, sometimes you're one relationship away from really winning over people that can help you. Um, Maybe there's one bad friend you got to shake. Maybe there's a friend that you haven't embraced that can really take you to the next level. Maybe it's a potential spouse, but that statement that she made, like, two weeks ago, it's been ringing in my head, like, yeah. for the last two weeks. And, again, partnership through through the form of marriage is not just about, like, love. It's not just about raising kids. It's a sounding board, somebody you can bounce everything off of. And that's really one of the main reasons why I married my wife was because I had some real critical and pivotal decisions to make, and she always had sound counsel. Yeah. Um, and and I think that is what you you may miss out on because you're worried about somebody taking your money or you worry about somebody just wanting you to, to for a free dinner, like you know open up, you know what I mean like trust yourself more because yeah. we we we, all, we often talk about trusting other people or the inability to do that, but trust yourself to know that you are valuable enough for somebody to see the true value in you, to want to invest in you. And that's what a potential spouse or a best friend, whoever it may be, can do for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, the example you're sharing about, um, you know, if it's a friendship, relationship. It's like I was telling you out of it in the chat, like I was joking, but I was like, man, like, you know, before you do certain things, you be thinking about the chat or you be thinking about the people that's accountable, like Again, I can't hold them down or yeah, what they going to think. Yeah, or yeah. Like I said, I sometimes think like, what was Tony and si do or what would this look like, you know?
0: I'm not I'm not a movie buff by any Sort of stretch of the imagination. Um, I don't have the attention span to watch a lot of movies. And I know, like, The Godfather is, like, everybody's favorite. Um, Not something that I would sit down and watch. But there is a scene, and I always, I'm also not good with, like, names and characters and Mm -hmm. stuff, right? But there was a scene in The Godfather where the guy, Frank, I think his name was, he was set to testify about the mafia to the Senate. And Michael Corleone flew in his older brother. He was like, if you're gonna rat on us, I'm gonna bring your brother in here who you respect, and you're gonna have to rat on us in front of him. Mm. And his older brother walked in, he's an older guy, he's kind of heavy set, he's stumbling in, and his eyes are like as big as baseballs when he sees his brother at the at the you know, at the table about to testify. And as soon as they swore him in, he told a completely different story. Like, mm-hmm. no, I don't remember, I don't recall. And I always think about that scene, even though despite the fact I'm not a movie buff and I don't watch a lot of movies, I just happen to catch that scene. And I, there's a lot, there are a lot of people in my life that I look at as that character of that older brother. Yeah. Um, and to your point, I've now become that for some people too. Like I walk in the room and their demeanor changes for the yeah. better. Um, so you've got to have that in your life. I think about those. I can see those people like crystal clear in my mind that I think about what would they think if I did things the wrong way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, nah, that's good, bro. And you know, we talk about family, talk about marriage, community, your upbringing, right? Um, those who don't know you is that you know, foul Molly, um, your mom, your sisters, um, they all have to share you with the city, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. uh, with the world. I would say, in a sense, they all have to share you. So, um, I want to get into something that's a topic I think all urban cities, but specifically here in DC. Um, for those who don't know, salas, as we've been talking, has been active on the groundwork as it relates to community outreach um but specifically, I want to address the work um that you and um, I would say um, people that you work with are doing to address gun violence, yeah, um you know, I know you've done it on the war level, I know you've done it on the citywide level. um we've seen the uptick and the carjackings, the robberies, the killings, so forth, and so on. so um, we always talk about. You know, uh, what isn't working? We always talk about programs, 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 programs. But from your experience in the past and currently, let's talk about some approaches that you believe does work.
0: So a couple of things. One, a couple of years ago, Council Member Treon White had a meeting at the Wilson Building in one of the hearing rooms. It was jam-packed. I mean, standing room only, you could barely get in the room. He made a statement And it made people's eyes jump out of their heads. He was like, any of us could walk outside and get shot. And this was during a time, and Tony and I were just talking about this a week ago, where this was maybe six, seven years ago, where most people look at themselves as spectators in the gun violence conversation. Oh, that won't happen to me. Oh, I won't get carjacked. Oh, if you get shot, you must be doing something wrong. Um, The likelihood increases with that, but still, in these these days and age, 2023 anybody can literally get shot when he said that people didn't believe it but i heard him loud and clear right and then i think some people their their response was well what are you doing you know outside of your council work where you would get shot and it's like no that's not you shouldn't make that assumption anybody Mm -hmm. can get shot right i bring that story up because number one to do this work effectively you have to understand one that anybody could be a victim And if you stand off as a spectator and you think that's just their game and you're trying to interject yourself to just help them, no, your work actually helps us all. A lot of the violence interrupters work, a lot of the violence interrupter workers that I know, they've experienced gun violence in their own families, right? You know, a guy like Eric Weaver lost his son. You know, a guy like Jimmy, his brother's been shot, Mm -hmm. paralyzed, right? Um, Cody, Cody Wynn, um, his, his son, his middle son was shot. Almost every VI, violence interrupted worker that I know, they've experienced it themselves, right? Yeah. So to do this work, you have to acknowledge that. The second thing I think that you have to acknowledge in order to be successful with it is that what these guys are getting into it about, it's not stupid, mm-hmm. at least to them. Yeah. And I really have a large disdain for people saying, man, they, he killed them over nothing. No, it meant something yeah, to them. yeah, right. So unless you acknowledge that it means something to them, then you're not going to be able to put the effort in to be able to to solve the issue. Yeah. Um. And I think the last thing I'll say is that in this city and other cities, we we rely on experts when it comes to industries. Right. If 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 Moody's or Standard and Poor's comes and does an assessment of our city, twenty billion dollar budget some financial people from New York, from Wall Street, come down and say, this is what you have to do. We listen. We just take the instruction, right? We don't push back. We don't give feedback, right? They're experts. Um, If there's a medical situation, we had COVID for a couple of years, right? The medical experts came and talked to the council, talked to the mayor. This is what we need to be doing. And they implemented it, right? We need to have that same sort of like reverence and respect for the experts that are in the gun violence space. So I think the three things that I've seen lead to success is, again, one, understanding it can happen to anybody. Two, understanding that when it does happen, it's for a reason, and it means something to to the person that's involved or the people involved. And then thirdly, like, just solely rely on the experts and let's not have as much feedback as we have uh, with respect to, like, pushing back on their suggestions.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I know sometimes our community, too, we don't want to, you know, because expert could be many Mm -hmm. different people. yeah. But we usually don't want to listen to people if they haven't ever been in our shoes.
0: Yeah, that too. That too. I I think there is a space that needs to be open for people that have not necessarily gone to prison or necessarily carried a gun um, to do the work too because sometimes you want to put an example in front of young people in particular of of like the, the, the plan A, so to speak, right? You don't have to go through... The, the rigors of prison to to actually, like, come out and be reformed, right? Yeah. Maybe I can show you an example somebody who never went. That person's funny, charismatic, they're comfortable in their own skin, everything you want to be, right? And that person has a passion to help prevent you from going down the wrong road. There's still a value when it comes to people that have not gone to prison or have not sold drugs or mm-hmm. maybe not even come from the hood. Yeah. There's a value there, and we got to open up that pathway, too.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. So, man, um, what's, you know, we talk about a lot. um, And there's so much I could go into. I'm trying to stay on time. But, like, what's next for you? Um, You know, I know you got a lot of things you're working on. Um, If you want to touch on those who watch, you know, you had a health journey where you you lost a lot of weight. You put walking into a daily thing. I know you read a lot. But, like, what's some things you got upcoming for you personally and professionally?
0: Yeah, so it's really a mix of both. Um, I've been really Using this term recently, 360-degree wellness, right? There's a merge of, like, what you do in your 24-hour day. Professionally, personally, to your point, over the last four years, I've lost 100 pounds. Um, I didn't do, like, some lose weight quick scheme. No skiing, tummy tea. No tummy <laughs> tea. no belts, none of that. I just slowly habit stack, right? You listen to Eric Thomas. I listen to Eric Thomas. Yeah. He talks about that, just stacking good habits. Yeah. Um, just finished 75 hard for the third consecutive year a few days ago. Um, I'll tell you a quick funny story, right? I weigh myself every day. My wife and I went to Lido's yesterday, first day off of 75 hard. I gained five pounds in one day, (laughs) right? The moral of that story is you cannot beat the kitchen, right? You can go ahead and break a sweat and bleed working out. (laughs) It's got to happen in the kitchen first. But, yeah, I mean, for me, professional and personal development merged into this 360 24 hours sort of like experience that we have to have if we want to be high performers, right? So I'm currently uh, drafting a book, looking to get the book out um, probably mid-summer. Okay. Um, it's going to be called Showing Up and it's really a reflection of how I've reinvented myself and just some suggestions that I want to be able to lay out to other people. Um, recently um, revamped my consulting and training uh, business. Um, I had Previously been working under a different imprint, started a new imprint back in October, going full-fledged with that. Want to really get in front of a lot of government agencies, schools, and just other organizations that have outward-facing approaches to community engagement. I want to be able to help uh, improve the performance of their clients, but also the the, uh, performance of the people that are working with the clients, right? um coming out of covid man i think you've got two types of people people who said man forget it i'm just quiet quitting i'm not giving my all to work anymore covid just transformed people in that way to some degree yeah. then there are other people who saw covid as an opportunity man i can do more with my life so i want to touch those two different brackets right the people who've just lost all motivation and are just quiet quitting and then also the people who they've got more energy now they 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 want to do their own thing yeah. but how do we how do we create the routines the rules, the guidelines, the guidance to be able to have you prepared to take on those issues, right, me modifying my eating, me drinking the water every day, me exercising, me reading, all of that gets me more prepared for the same opportunity as a person next to me, and i 'm probably going to be more hungry for it because of the fact that i 've primed myself in that way
1: yeah and, and i 'm I'm happy to hear you say <clears throat> that because I think i' am gonna say it's men, but i 'm also say specifically it's black men um. If it's podcasters, whatever, a lot of people put a time limit on stuff. Like, if you ain't got this by this age, or if you, this by this age, you stuck in your ways, or 35 or 40 is the max. But like you said, you reinvented yourself, you know, and it's to the point where you're showing, like, it's never too late. Man,
0: I got a buddy that lives in California. He's a music producer, and um, he's been really doing well with syncs, right, Um, for television shows and movies, right? plugging his music into those and getting paid from that versus just working with artists on albums. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a group of men. There's like three of them, two brothers and one of their friends. I don't know their names offhand, but they've been in the music business since like the fifties, like all the like Marvin Gaye, um, Supremes, Motown sort of sound. They're like really entrenched in that. These guys are like 80 something years old. They're still doing it. Right. So one of the guys in that trio was doing the sync for a television show. And the television show reached out to my buddy who's a producer out there. And they were like, hey, can you help this guy out with this, right? We just want to tweak the sound a little bit. So he tweaked it just a little bit. They submitted it back. Cool. Everything's cool. So we got a chance to meet the older guy, this legendary guy, right, behind the scenes. And they had lunch. But before they had lunch, they had a conversation on the phone. And the guy who's like 82, 83 years old says to him, listen, man, I thank you for what you did, but I ain't looking for no partners. And what he was kind of saying to my friend was like, man, I'm still up and running. I'm 83. I get up every day and I get after it, mm-hmm. right? I don't really need no help. The, the television station wanted me to talk to you, but, you know, I just want to set that up up front that like I'm good. I'm like good, I, yeah. I can stand on my own Ten. They ended up having lunch, building a relationship. You know, it kind of softened the the, the the wall that was there initially when they got face-to-face. But my point in all of that is that man, there are people that are twice our age that get up with right. twice our enthusiasm, yeah. right? I mean, you 83 years old. Mm-hmm. How much longer do you think you're really going to be here? But yeah. he's like, man, I'm going to maximize every day. So my point is it's never too late.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. That's I, I told you that multiple <clears throat> times, like – if I feel like dang, I can't work out the day. I'm trying to get the miles in. and I see you working out. I'm like, man, bro, I got a daughter, I got a wife, job, getting pulled here and there. So it's
0: like, I was like, I don't have any excuse. It's marbles and sand. Um, so I read so many books now that I forget where I get this, the the lessons from. Yeah. But um, the question is, like, if you had, you know, a bunch of marbles and you had a bunch of sand, you had to put it in a jar. Which would you put in first? Mm-hmm. Right? You put the sand in first. You're not going to fit all the marbles in there. You put the marbles in first, and the sand will fit around it. So the marbles and sand sort of like example is make sure the things that are important to you are the marbles. Yeah. The sand is everything else that will fit around It'll it. There, so yeah. that's one of the things that I've learned. I get my walk-in every day, do my push-ups every day, like read my book every day. I got two bottled waters right here mm-hmm. like that I'm going to finish before midnight to make yeah. sure I got four liters in. And those are the marbles of my life.
1: Yeah, yeah. And when you see the results, like you said, because I'm learning. As I am telling you, I've just been this year – note, taking on notes, reviewing stuff. But, like, when you see the results that will come from certain activity, you keep up with it. Yeah. Like, if I don't, like, even if I'm not doing 75, I don't get out to get to some type of walk-in, work-out-in. Whole day is thrown off. Yeah. Like, my whole day. Because, like, people always ask, oh, you work out, what you trying to do? I'm like, that's my time to escape. <laughs> Music on, got the time on, I'm running, I'm thinking about what I'm gonna do, I'm thinking about, life five years from now, ten years from now. And, um, it's just like, that is part of the routine, and you know, speaking of routine and speaking of stuff we live by, I'm going to ask every guest this before they close out. Um, dreams by any means, you know, it's the IG name. Uh, any means, something I live by, and I always say hustle plus faith equals success. Um, but what was your any means moment? Um, that's a moment where, you know, you might have set a goal, took a long time to reach, you might have got a job. Um, it could be anything, but, like, what's something you think of, like an any means moment when you overcame something, you know, you got it done by
0: any means? Yeah, I – I've recently grown to really believe in the power of manifesting like declaring yeah. verbally saying you're going to do things right being bold enough to do that when i went on paternity leave with my daughter um that was when i really began transforming physically and mentally spiritually the whole nine yards and i remember one day looking at myself in the mirror and was like when you go back to work you're gonna be a different person I didn't know what I was saying. I literally verbally said that in the mirror. And I'm not that kind of guy. You know me. Like, yeah. I'm not really. Yeah. But I just said, like, man, I'm going to be a different man when I go back to work. Yeah. And, you know, in that period from, like, April to, like, July when I went back, I probably lost, at that point, 30 or 40 pounds just off the rip, mm. right, walking every day with my daughter, doing that sort of thing. And so I, I proved myself to be right. I became different yeah. um, in that period when I was away from work. Um, so that was, like, my any means moment where I just said to myself, you can't continue living how you have been living previously.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what's up, man. Like, I, I've i seen it, you know what I mean? And I always tell you, like, you ain't shake back, you know what I mean? Because a yeah, lot yeah, of times, yeah. it's like, if it's lose weight or if it's cut out of habit, people eventually get back to it, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, like, yeah. you've been on it. I mean, y'all watching and listening, we joke with, it. like, Silas would be – Walking in two-degree weather, like three-degree weather. It's Christmas, Thanksgiving. He's going to vibe with the fam, but then he's going to be out there getting that (laughs) walk-in. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I got some stories, bro. Some things I've gone through just to get a walk-in. Yeah. I got some serious (laughs) stories, man. I mean, it's just – but the the, the one thing I I think every person should have at least one thing that they do every day that is positive. Mm -hmm. I want you to listen to this. It's positive. It pushes you. It's personal, right? And it has a purpose. Yeah. Right? Um, those four things, it should be, it, maybe it's not walking for you, but like it has to be the same thing, right? Because whatever your system is, it has to be stress tested. Yeah. Um, In order for it to really be sustainable. That's why I enjoy when the weather is inclement, right? Because yeah. it, it tests me like, can yeah. you get out there when it's 10 degrees, mm-hmm. right? Um. And and the more I go through those stress testers, the more I know my system is strong enough to sustain. Uh, my dad, like I mentioned a couple of times, he passed away. We left the hospital at 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning. I got up around 9 the next morning and went for my walk. Yeah. It just, you know.
1: Yeah, it becomes a. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you know, and, I, and I'm not knocking anybody. I actually had to apologize to a friend of mine one time. He wasn't offended, but I felt that I offended him because um, I, I made a statement like, man, you know, my dad passed and I, Kept at it. His dad had passed recently too. And I, I thought about it for weeks and I finally reached out to him. And he was like, nah, bro, it's cool. But I felt like that. So I always, with a caveat, that we all are different. We all have different situations going on. But I just bring that example up of continuing to do it because whatever it is that you choose to do every day, it has to be stress tested and there are going to be some stressors that come into play.
1: Yeah. And that's, and it's a, You know, I think you mentioned that's a good thing because that's how people easily could slip into depression. You know, you stop doing whatever your routine is. You know, if it's someone passed away, if you lost a job, whatever the case is, like if you let it take over you, you're like, all right, I ain't walking no more because everything ain't going good. It's like, all right, well,
0: when was you doing it for in the beginning? I I learned that it is easier to do things 100% than 98%. Mm -hmm. Because, like, just, just real quick, if I say, oh, it's 100 degrees outside today. I'm not going to go walking. Now that's my new ceiling. What happens when it's 99, mm-hmm. 98 degrees, 97, right? If I just make a decision I'm going to go out every day, it's much easier than trying to look at the, 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 the thermometer and figuring out, like, you know, how hot it is, right, or how cold it is, right? Um, so when you do things 100%, it's just I'm going to do it. And I made a decision that as long as my legs work, I'm going to walk. Yeah, and you know, we'll figure it out day by day from there.
1: Nah, for sure, brother. Solid man, as he's talking, y'all. I gotta get my second workout in. <laughs> 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 I already did one outside, was gonna be a walk, or I'm gonna try to do something inside, but probably a walk. But as we just talked about, you know, the city the city, so you gotta be on extra P's and Q's walking out here at nighttime. Yeah, but yeah. um, I appreciate you coming on here, bro. Um, uh, we could definitely go on and on, uh, you know, hours and hours, but this is definitely good. Glad to get you on here. Um, and just uh, you know, like I said in the beginning, but, like, real talk, like, bro, I want to give you your flowers. Like, you probably, not even probably, like, definitely easy top three, like, most influential people in my life. Like, I appreciate that, That ain't life. no, you know what I mean? And I think for, from it, too, is that something you did and probably thinking about those other two people, y'all never, y'all, you, you would say it, and I think the other people would kind of just display it. You would always say, like, man, I don't like telling people what to do. But you would show me, and then also you would just break down, like, all right, if you go this route, this is going to happen. If you go that route, this is going to happen. But more importantly, you just always show me. And like I said, I'm thinking about the other two people. Like, I know I could come to you for advice, but nine Mm -hmm. times out of ten, it's like, I might not even have to hit you on the side for a one-on-one because I'm just like, all right, well, I've seen him do this in this situation. Or I've seen him say this before, and I know this is his view on this, you know, like, literally – we, we got a, a chat, y'all, called The Righteous Recordings, but, like, I could go right now to my memos. Bruh, It's audio audios from you I got saved from 2017, 2018. <laughs> yeah. Like, in my memos, you know what I mean? And it was one day I was going back playing, like, the uh, baseball analogy. one. you gave a baseball analogy about life, um, it was one time where, you know, one of our uh, friends had, like, a conflict with somebody, and you kind of just broke down the importance of, like, you know, just thinking before you act, you know, all those type of things, bruh, so... I'm grateful to have you here. For those listening to the podcast, sometimes y'all, you know, wonder where I get the knowledge from, the motivation. Like, this is definitely one of those people that give me those motivation to keep going. So, appreciate you, bro.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Appreciate you, too.
1: All right, my man. All right. So, y'all tune in. Um, side definitely going to be back on here. We got to get a walk and talk in. You know, maybe like a nice little hour walk and talk uh, on that stage. Just the Anacostia Trail. And um, it's a lot more knowledge and stuff that I think you could definitely share with the audience in the world.
0: So, appreciate yeah, you. I'm, I thank you for the invite. All right, my man
1: thank you for tuning into dreams by any means motivation station where hustle plus faith equals success stay tuned for the next episode